God's word, we are in Philippians, going through Philippians chapter by chapter, verse by verse. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We have Spanish and English. Any Bibles? Anyone? It's not only good to hear the word of God, but to see it, there's just something about reading the word of God. I mean, actually, uh, physiologists will tell you that, 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 that something chemical happens and that word is branded on your soul. We need to read the word of, uh, of God as well as hear it. We are in Philippians, starting again in verse 8. This is Paul by the Holy Spirit. He says, For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection or the heart of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Christ, by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. He's in prison. He's got, he has chains. He's chained in prison. Verse 14, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, please, Lord, brand that word on our souls, on my soul, on all our souls, Lord. And I just pray that you, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, the word would just, we'd be saturated with us. It would just go down deep. It would get to those uh, places uh, in our soul, in our heart that we, we didn't even know about that need exposure to the light, your light. You are the light of life. Please pour it in, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So verse 9 through 11 is a prayer verse 9 says this I pray and he's going to he's going to pray three things in verse 9 through 11 in verse 9 through 11 number 1 that your love would abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment that's the first thing he prays. Then he goes on. And in verse 10, he says, that you may approve the things that are excellent. And then the last thing he prays in this prayer, end of verse 10, that you may be sincere 
and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. John, you can leave that up there. So, again, I mentioned this last week. When you read a prayer in the Bible, please, Calvary Chapel, study it and then pray it. Pray it for yourselves. In other words, uh, I pray that, uh, Lord, I pray that my love would abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. I pray that I may approve the things that are excellent. I pray that I may be sincere and without offense uh, till the day of Jesus Christ. And then pray it for your family. Pray it for the church. Pray it for me. But let's break this prayer down. We'll be very briefly in number one because we were in that, this, that prayer all last week. We see that the first part of the prayer, in verse nine, it says, I pray that your love would abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. So what did we learn last week? Love is so powerful, it has a way of casting aside knowledge and truth. Men and women who are normally discerning in their decision making will throw off all the discernment when it comes to love. Can we keep that up, uh, John? So this first uh, part of the uh, prayer says, I pray that your love would abound still more and more in knowledge and discernment. There's such a love that's foolish love that doesn't have truth. Love has a way of swallowing up the truth. And so the Bible says, rather, let your love be with knowledge and discernment. So we spent the whole message last week talking about this one in particular, how it relates to how we love the LGBT community. If you weren't here, I recommend that you get the teaching, which is online. But there's, listen, there's a thousand ways that we can love without knowledge. We we're, think we're being someone's friend. Uh, we're loving a friend, but we're not loving the friend. Uh, we're being foolish with the friend. So he starts off with his church. Remember, uh, verse 8 says he, he, he loves them so much with the affection of Christ. We've talked about that. He, it hurts. He loves these people so much it hurts. And so the second part of the prayer is this. That you may approve the things that are excellent. So again, that's a prayer. That you may approve the things that are excellent. So what does that mean? Well, one easy way of, uh, of thinking about that, it's, it's that you will be able to decide what really matters. Man, this is a good prayer for every single one of you. It's right here in the Bible. I pray for you, each one of you, that you, you will understand what really matters. You'll be able to decide what really matters. Listen, we waste a whole lot of time and energy and money on things that don't matter. Uh, and so that does not mean that you, have to spend, that you spend all day, every day reading the Bible and praying. Although I do recommend that 
from time to time, by the way. But, but, but it doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean there's some Christian law that says you have to cut out watching football, playing video games, cut out your fishing or playing cards. Although for some of you, you need to. Uh, it, but it, it, it does mean this. It means focusing on the things that really matter, meaning that do not distract you from glorifying God. More on that later. In, in your life. And, and, and what is right for one person is not right for the next person. God loves you each individually in this room and has, he's, got, he's got a different life for everyone. So Lord, I pray that every man and woman in Calvary Chapel will focus on what really matters. Another translation for this prayer is that you will be able to determine what is best. The enemy of the best is what? Good. <laughs> so just because I'm doing a good thing doesn't mean it's a God thing. So, so, Lord, show me this thing I'm doing, uh, whether it's a good idea or your idea. Again, uh, verse 10. I pray that you, Calvary Chapel, may approve the things that are excellent and that you would choose what really matters, what's the best. Okay. Next part of the prayer. Number three. that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. That you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. So let's just break that one down as well. Again, that's verse 11. If you see a prayer in the Bible, study it and then pray it. Because you got to know what you're praying, right? And some, Paul has a, sometimes he has a reputation for being a little difficult. You've got to unpack it, understand it, and then pray it for yourself and your family and your friends. So he says, the last part of the prayer, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Jesus Christ. So that word sincere there, that word sincere, uh, what it means is Sincere, without deceit or without hypocrisy. So Psalm 32, verse 3, says this. Blessed is the man in whose spirit there is no deceit. En español, cuán bienaventurado es el hombre en cuyo espíritu no hay engaño. No, no deceit in your spirit. And so, that was written by who? Someone shout it out. Anyone know who wrote that? Psalm? David. David, David wrote that psalm, and he, he wrote it when he confessed, after he had confessed his sin to the Lord. He had committed adultery and killed the man who was married to the woman he committed adultery with. And he had been carrying on with God. He was going to the temple, doing his thing, carrying on with God and with people as if there was no issue in his life. He was filled with what? Self-deceit. Self-deceit. He was filled with that. And so 
after being confronted by the prophet Nathan, he confessed his sin and he declares, blessed is the man in whose spirit is no deceit. So some of you here today, you're holding on to some kind of thing in your life and you're going about as if it's no issue. It is. It's an issue. You're, you're in self-deceit. You're de- trying to deceive the Lord, which is a crazy thing. There was a time in my life I was an expert at that, walking around uh, 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 trying to make it, rather fake it till I made it. No, the Lord knows exactly what's going on. And so that's why Paul prays. He prays this prayer. And at the end of the prayer, he says, and I pray that you would be sincere, meaning without deceit and without offense until the day of Christ. Okay, so let's go to verse 11. Let's go to verse 11. Now, verse 11 is the result of, So when you pray this for someone, verse 11 is what the Lord is, how he is going to answer it. And so verse 12 says, you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which are by Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. One more time. What's the answer to the prayer? Again, what what is the prayer? That your love may abound in knowledge. Number two, that you may approve what's excellent. And number three, that you would be sincere without offense. And the result, this is how God answers. He will fill that person, that church, that community with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay. Okay. So quickly, what are the fruits of righteousness? Well, two things. Number one, think Galatians 5.22. Think Galatians 5.22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You want this? You want this? How many people are nodding their head? You want this in your life? Pray this prayer for yourself. There's nothing unspiritual about this. It's the result, that prayer in 9 and 10, this is the, the result, fruits of righteousness. But also, think the parable of the sower. Parable, what are fruits of righteousness? This is Jesus speaking. Other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up increased and produced some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So this is a different kind of fruit. This kind of fruit means, which speaking about the life of God in you, will be reproduced in the lives of others. So that is the answered prayer. This is a big deal. So pray that prayer, Calvary Chapel. Pray it for me. Pray it for each other. And then it says uh, there, to the glory and the praise of God. In other words, as you or the people who God's answering the prayers for, that they're filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by uh, Jesus Christ, what's going to happen in the life that's filled with fruits of righteousness? God will be glorified and praised. 
It says, to the glory and the praise of God. To the glory and the praise of God. That's verse 11. So, so to the glory and the praise of God. Circle that, underline it, highlight it. It's this verse 11, the whole verse really, it's a purpose of life verse. Now, one of the things that we do in evangelism training, which uh, the fall training is taking place um, right now, I'm, I teach it, and Mary Wambua, she's now in Kenya, and so Martha's helping me with it, but uh, one of the things that we teach is how to tell people about the importance of being born again. You're born once in your mother's womb, but Jesus says you must be born a second time by the Spirit of God. You're born again. And, and when we ask people in the streets, uh, we say, um, have you been born again? Well, what's that? Well, one of the things is you know the purpose for your life. And now that, people have a big issue with that in 2023. People don't have the slightest idea what the purpose of their life. And I tell you, that really gets their attention. When you tell them one of the, uh, the, 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 one of the things that's produced in your life by being born again by God, you understand your purpose. And so this verse is a purpose verse. And the purpose verse, it, it, meaning it explains your purpose of your life, it says, uh, it, it says in verse 11, to be filled with the fruits of righteousness to the glory of and praise of God, to the glory and praise of God. Isaiah 43 verse seven says this, another verse that's so important. Type this verse up in your computer, print it off, cut it out, and put it over the, the, your, on your doorpost, over your door. Everyone, this is God speaking, this is not Steve speaking, this is God speaking. Everyone who is called by my name, I have created for my glory. That's the purpose. It's a purpose verse. That's why you should circle this one and highlight it and underline it. Everyone who is called by my name, I have created for my glory. And so um, every once in a while, I need to explain what on earth is the glory of God. It's not something easy to articulate. What is the glory of God? If the purpose of my life is to glorify God, what is the glory of God? If you're taking notes, I hope you are, it is, it, it's that part of God, the glory of God is that, th that part of God, his love, his faithfulness, his judgment, or it is that thing which God does the fruit of righteousness in your life, that when a person observes it, they cry out. They see God's glory in their life and they cry out, oh God is real. He's powerful. God is life. That's what the glory of God is. So the glory of God, actually it's in nature. When people go up on a mountain and, and, and look at in a valley covered with trees and streams, and, and, and what are they thinking? Uh, it, it, even someone who's trying as hard as they can not to believe there's a God ain't going to happen. God's, gonna, that God's being glorified in the nature. Romans chapter 1 says, everyone on earth knows that there's a God just by nature alone. 
And so the glory of God, it's, it's that um, which is in God or what God does, which when a person's um, eyes are, are opened up, they realize, wow, there is a God, he's holy, and he requires something of me. The glory of God. Look at this verse, Psalm 29.9. This kind of explains what I've been talking about. It says, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. My daughter, my oldest daughter, she's walking out now. She may be giving birth. Are you about to give birth? I, I, this is a little scary. I, right when I start talking about her? I mean, she, she's, that, that baby's about to roll out. Can we have it again? Uh, it says, <laughs> uh, the, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. The Lord, it's the voice of the Lord that calls forth a child from the womb. Don't, don't kid yourself. It's the voice of the Lord. And then it says, the voice of the Lord strips the forest bare. And then this is what I love. And in his temple, everyone says, glory. And so the glory of God is, is, is when your eyes are open to, wow, there's a God and he, this is what he's doing. Something in you cries out glory. You may not even know that word, but you're, 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 so your heart's doing something. It's expressing the glory. So, Back, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11, as your life fills up with the fruits of righteousness, which doesn't happen overnight, by the way, it's over the course of years, and people observe something in them cries out glory, to the praise and the glory of God. Okay, so let's go. There's like a sharp left here in verse 12. <laughs> Big change of, of subject, of theme. But I want you to know. So he's, com he's completely moving on to a different, a different thing here. Speaking to these people, verse eight says he loves them so much he, he hurts for them. The kind of love he has, it hurts even thinking about it because he loves them so much. But I want you to know, brethren, that in the things, rather, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So he's talking about, he says, something has happened to me and because it's happened to me, the good news about Jesus Christ is being spread. Because gospel and good news mean the same thing. Verse 13, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. We're going to talk about that. Verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to go speak the word without fear. Okay, so what is going on here? What is going on here? He's talking about the palace guard. He's talking about chains. Well, as I said earlier, Paul is in prison. The whole story of, of him entering the prison is told in 
chapter 28 of the book of Acts. We're not going to turn there. But in Jerusalem, what happened? In Jerusalem, Paul had openly declared before a large crowd the good news of Jesus Christ. And what happened? A riot happened. And, and, so, and so, you know, where, where the gospel is preached, there's, there's, there's always spiritual warfare. There's a spiritual resistance. There's a demonic realm. And oh boy, did a riot get stirred up when he was in Jerusalem. And so he was arrested by Roman soldiers. You see, this whole story is in the book of Acts. He's arrested by Roman soldiers. Eventually, he's taken in a ship to Rome. And so Acts 28 tells the story. Let's just go to Acts 28, verse 16. It says, when we came to Rome, the Roman commander delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, palace guard, guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. And so then, then we read in verses 17 and 20, it says, Paul called the leaders of the Jews together. So when he's in prison, he's chained it says, so when uh, he called the leaders of the Jews together, so when they had come together, he said to them, for the hope of Israel, I am bound with this chain. So it means the hope of Israel is who? Shout it out. Jesus Christ. Jesus had been, uh, for hundreds of years, the Jewish prophets had been prophesying about Jesus. And what he's saying here is, it's the, because of the hope of Israel I am bound with this chain. Now, most Bible commentators that you read will tell you that the standard practice of the Romans was to chain the prisoner to the Roman soldier who was guarding him. So Paul is writing the, this book, uh, rather this letter to the Philippians while he is chained to a Roman soldier. And, and, and so... Josephus, the Jewish historian, he's writing about the same time this letter was, letter was written, says that the Roman guard had four-hour shifts. So you do the math, six different soldiers per day were chained to Paul. The four-hour shifts over a 24-hour period. So stay with me here. That puts verse 12 and 13 in a new light. It explains the verse. So important that we're going to other places in the Bible to interpret the Bible. Verse so again, it says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 13, read along with me. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And so um, he's thinking, what's going on? He's thinking that his beloved friends in Philippi are discouraged and sad because he's in prison. His response is right here. Don't be. 
Don't be. Because these chains, because of these chains, the gospel is just spreading. The palace guard, again, was made up of all the guards assigned to the emperor. Anyone know who was the emperor at this time of the writing? Nero. So there was about 100 soldiers or more assigned to the emperor. And Paul says what in, in verse 13? He says, the whole palace has heard the gospel. Why? Because these guys are chained to them. They can't help it. And, and, and so what are they hearing, these Roman soldiers? What are they hearing? We know from the book of Acts that... Um, Actually, can you go to the next verse? It's on the next page. It, for two years, he's, he's sharing the good news, chained to a Roman soldier. It says that uh, Paul, uh, Paul dwelt in prison two whole years, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. For whatever reason, they let him just share the gospel. And so... These Roman soldiers chained to him are hearing this. What are they hearing? They are hearing that God, who created the world, did not leave it up to their best guess to figure out who he is. I mean... I have five kids. Can you imagine what would be said of me if as soon as my kids were brought into the world, I just take off, change my name, leave it up to their best guess to try to figure out where I am and who I am? I would be called what? Cruel. I would be called a, a hater. God's not cruel. He's not a hater. He gave a very specific way for you and me and the whole world to find out who he is. He gave the word of God and he sent his son. He sent his son. So these Roman soldiers are hearing it. And, and, and that man uh, was created by God to be in a perfect loving relationship with God. But man, all men, all women were now under certain terrible eternal judgment by God because they had turned God's love on its head, turning that which was beautiful beyond description to something ugly beyond words because it's, it, again, sin of the garden. What was it? The serpent said to Eve, you can be like God if you eat this fruit. It says that sounded good to her being like God, and it sounds good to every single one of you in this room. We all rolled out of our mother's womb like that. It says even, even in our mother's womb, the, 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 the gene pool, it's in there. And, and so um, what was indescribably beautiful became something ugly beyond words. Now listen up. No one would have known this uglier beyond words better than these Roman soldiers. They would have been firsthand witnesses of some of the most ugly behavior in the history of mankind. 
Nero, the emperor, killed his mother, his first wife, his second wife, and his brother. He had a slave castrated and then married him. Nero was known for sadistic sexual cruelty, the things these soldiers would not only have known and witnessed, but listen up, they would have facilitated this stuff. These soldiers, members of the palace guard, they're chained to Paul living under the crushing weight of shame and guilt. So they're chained to Paul. And so what else do they hear? What else do they hear Paul say? These men who had participated in indescribable acts of sexual cruelty. I, I, I can't go into it here. It wouldn't be appropriate. But they would have heard from Paul that Roman soldiers just like them had beaten this man, Jesus Christ, to a pulp. That Roman soldiers just like them thrust iron stakes through the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that before he died, while hanging on the cross, naked, Roman soldiers mocking him, along with the rest of the crowd, they would have heard what Jesus said loud and clear, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They would have heard, been told of the darkness that suddenly overtook the whole land for three hours. They would have been told that when Jesus cried out um, right before he died, into your hands I commit my spirit and died, the earth quaked. They would have been told that the Roman commander who was in charge along with others with him after seeing all this said, surely this man is the son of God. They would have been told Paul's own story. He murdered Christians. They would have been told this. Listen, this is all passing through the, the Roman guard and spilling out into the streets. They would have been told by Paul, Romans chapter four, verse five, one of the most stunning verses in the Bible. God justifies the ungodly. Now we talked a lot about what that word justifies means. Theologians have books. There's not enough room in this room to, to fill up the books that, that talk about what it means justified. But when God justifies the ungodly, what that means is when a person puts their faith in Jesus Christ apart for from any good works they do, apart from any goodness they may have, apart from anything, the Bible says that no man can be justified by God by good works, but simply by putting their faith in Jesus Christ. They are justified, meaning they are declared pure, holy, blameless before a holy God. And therefore, they have 
a deposit, a right, a claim on heaven itself. It says when God justifies the uh, ungodly, including men who participated in the horrors that Emperor Nero participated in, it says when, when he puts, it's when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, immediately the Holy Spirit invades their life and the Holy Spirit washes, justifies, sanctifies. That's revolutionary. You know, it, it, and the bottom line is this. You, there is no sin out there that's uglier than, this, than what happened on the cross. So if you want to come to me after church or whenever and say, yeah, well, listen to my sin. And, and first of all, I've heard it all. I've been doing this for 30 years. But, but, but second of all, it's, it, the, ugly, the, the ugly scene on the cross, that blood was a whole lot uglier than your sin. And the Bible says that blood was the purchase price for you to have a relationship with God starting now and lasting for all eternity. And they're hearing all this and they're thinking, you mean there's hope for me? You mean there's hope for me? There's hope for me? Yes, there's hope for you. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up at this time. We're going to have communion. There's a little communion cup underneath um, your chair. Kenny, can you, can you hand me that communion cup? There's another one right over there for you. So we're going to have communion at this point. If the worship team could come up, okay, if the worship team could come up, and also, if you've been asked to pray, if you've been asked to pray, could you please come up at this time? Now these things, there's two layers. We're going traditional, by the way, to the, the next time we have communion. So I know some of you, you, know, you may miss these, but... Um, others won't miss them at all, but there's two little layers, and there's the wafer in the top. Inside there's grape juice. And this is communion. So what is communion about? So the Bible says that the wine, the grape juice, represents that blood it is so precious and so powerful it purchased the lives of Roman soldiers who killed Jesus Christ and who even did whatever they did in, in Nero's court. It purchased them. It was the purchase price. And you may ask, how do I get the benefits of the fact that he, the blood, purchased me, you get the benefit of that by simply asking Jesus Christ in your life. The Bible says that Jesus knocks at the door of your heart. 
Revelation 3.20 says that any man that opens their heart and says, come in, I give you 100%. Not 99%, not 50%, not 25%, because Jesus is a perfect gentleman. He comes in where he is going to be God. If you've never done that, if you've never said to Jesus Christ, okay, I get it, I get it, it's by grace, I get it, I can't be good enough to deserve a relationship with you, but you so loved the world that you came and you died for me, come into my life. If you've never done that, I don't want you to have participate in communion unless you come up and you talk with me and I can lead you through a simple prayer of faith asking Jesus in your life Bible says that by the Holy Spirit you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and somehow that Holy Spirit applies the blood of Christ and washes you and prepares you for heaven. Or if there's something else that you would like to pray about before you have communion, the Bible says before you in one of the most powerful set of verses in the Bible, Hebrews 10, it says, you know, if you're still holding on to sin, in spite of knowing what Jesus did for you, it's the equivalent of trampling the Son of God underfoot, treating the blood of covenant by which you've been sanctified as a common thing, and insulting the Spirit of grace. You don't want to do that. <laughs> Believe me, you don't want to do that. But I'm well aware of the grip that sin can have on a human being. If you would like prayer over a particular issue, just to let it go, come up and pray. The other thing I want to say is you know, one thing that is also insulting the spirit of grace is when you've received Jesus as your Lord, but you're thinking of something last week that you did that was sin. You know it was sin, but you asked God for forgiveness. You asked him. The Bible says that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive it. And by not going up to communion, think about what Jesus is thinking. He went to the cross so you could have communion. Just got to go with a surrendered heart. Having asked forgiveness for whatever. So or any of those things or anything else you'd like to pray about before we have communion. Come up as the worship team begins. Actually, why don't, why don't we stand? You can, can keep hold of the cup and the wafer. Let's worship and, and pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray by your spirit you would continue doing a good work among us as we worship and prepare for communion. In Jesus' name, amen.